Welcome. If you're a woman who has a sense that there's more out there for you, you're in the right place. I'm Whitney Baker, host of the Electric Ideas podcast. Somewhere along the line of working kids, life carried on, but I lost track of my truth. I'm on a reflective journey, and that's what this podcast is all about. Each week, I interview a woman who is lighting her own path and offering others hope. Before our conversation ends, we'll share a reflective question for you to explore. Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. Before we dive into today's episode, I am so excited to share a reminder that we are just under two weeks out from the Electric Ideas Season to Shift Mastermind for Moms. I know lots of people are kind of getting back into routines after holiday breaks, etc. And now is the time where we're all thinking about what's next for us. What seeds do we want to plant for spring? So the Season to Shift Mastermind is specifically designed for moms who are ready to reclaim a sense of joy and purpose outside of the roles they play as mom and in their career. Here's what happens to a lot of moms. Motherhood comes and we can't anticipate the water hose of needs that comes with. Sometimes we're just so in it and just trying to keep it all together that it's not until we get just a tiny bit more space that we realize how disconnected we are from ourselves. My mastermind is designed directly for you to spend intentional time with yourself in 2023. So if you're a mom and you feel ready for more, this is your invitation. You don't have to procrastinate anymore because when you're part of this group, you just get into this energy of excitement. You will take action every week that moves you out of these murky waters. You don't have to do it alone. For more information, visit myelectricideas.com backslash mastermind backslash or feel free to message me directly on Instagram. You can find me at, at Whitney Woman. There is a cap on spots because this is an intentionally intimate group. Such a great group of women always. So claim your spot today. Okay, on to the show. Today's guest is Michelle Cedarberg. For more than 17 years, as a certified speaking professional, author, and coach, Michelle has captivated audiences across North America with empowering and humorous messages about how to get energized for success, set worthwhile goals, and overall just live a bigger life. Michelle believes personal and professional success is directly influenced by how well we harness the physical, mental, and emotional capacity we each have within us. Her mission is to help people boost this capacity so they can gain clarity, build confidence, and even work on their discipline so they can create the life and the career they want. Michelle has written three books, and today we're focusing on her most recent book. It's called The Success Energy Equation. Let's do this. All right, Michelle, welcome to the show. I am excited to be here, Whitney. I'm so excited to have you because we have a lot of territory to cover. So today we're going to talk a lot about goal setting and how kind of the stress of modern technology hinders our ability to achieve our goals. But I want to begin with a concept from your book that immediately resonated with me. And that's this idea of taking our lives off autopilot. So Michelle, let's start there. Tell us, how do we know if we're living on autopilot? You know, autopilot is tricky because most of us are just, you know, racing throughout the day, trying to get everything done and we feel productive. And I think to to me, autopilot is when you're racing through the day and then you put your head up and you go, oh my gosh, 
I didn't plan to come this way. You know, I wasn't planning on doing this. So we end up doing things unconsciously that we weren't intending to do. And it shows up in a lot of sneaky ways. In the book, I share a whole list of, I think, 20 ways that you can be on autopilot. One of the key ones that I often say is like, is that your day feels predictable. You know, you're doing the same thing over and over again. And while you might be productive, it just doesn't feel resonant, if you will. Or you don't look forward to the day ahead or you're starting your day by checking your device. There's all sorts of sneaky ways that we can pull ourselves out of the present and into autopilot living, if you will. I want to talk about that more because it's very aligned with my beliefs of there's this idea that we're productive if we keep ticking things off of our list, but if they're not the right things, then it might not necessarily ladder up to the life we want to live. So if we cultivate an awareness in our lives, maybe of how we're living on autopilot, what next? What if we are feeling kind of like stuck or wary or like we're just in the grind? You know, a very simple thing that we we need to do each and every day is is to pause even for a moment at any point in the day and ask ourselves, am I doing the right work on the right things right now? Just to look around and determine, okay, is there something I need to say yes to or no to? Because as busy people and as busy women, as busy parents, you end up, you know, just basically going through the day and dealing with whatever's in front of you, even if it might not be the right thing. So one of the key things that I think that every single person needs to do is is to wake up mindfully. There's a ridiculous amount of research that says that we wake up and we reach for the the device that's plugged in beside our, our beds. We reach for our phones. And that's not really a good way to check in with the day. Because the moment you open up that device, then the outside world comes in and your day has been hijacked. So number one, check in with yourself before you check in with the world. You know, lie there in bed and ask yourself, how did I sleep? How am I feeling? What do I need for myself today? That's a really big one because we'll go into taking care of everyone else and everything else before we tend to our own needs. So delay that first check-in and use even a little bit of time. And I, you can do this in less than two minutes to set your intentions for the day, which is really hard to do when you're taking care of everyone else and everything else, but to just stop and say, okay, what would, you know, what one, two or three things do I need to accomplish today to make today successful? could be as simple as I need to work out today, or I need to carve out 10 minutes of my day to drink my tea before it gets cold. Simple little things like that. It could be more robust things on the work front as well, but more often than not, it's self-care that we need to, to tend to. Yeah. I mean, I, gosh, I could go on for days about that one, but the yes, first thing, I, wake up mindfully and set your intentions and just see how the trajectory of your day changes. It's very interesting. I... Could not agree more. I've talked a lot on this show about the power of a morning routine, but I think what we haven't talked about is how many people wake up and immediately give their power away to that. I loved how you put that to the outside world, to the water hose of technology and kind of either numb out or get into a state of stress or immediately jump into responding instead of really being intentional about what they want to do today and how they want to spend their time. So thank you for that reminder. And speaking of technology, I I think we all know it can be, if harnessed correctly, I think it can be a wonderful way for us to connect with family and friends and even build community. I mean, it, there are some blessings with technology, but a lot of what you really bring to light in your book is 
how the way we live and work with technology has created this new source of energetic drain that I think isn't talked about enough. That's really specific to our generation. Tell us about that. Yeah, energetic drain. I I like that term. I I should have used that from a book because I called it 21st and a quarter century stress, which is a stressful name in and of itself. But I was researching stress for my book. We talk about normal acute stress, which is everyday stress, and then chronic stress, which is stress without recovery. And this energetic drain that you talk about is this tech-fed, FOMO-driven, pervasive, unrelenting digital stress, if you will. We're connected 24-7. And, you know, certainly through the pandemic, our devices were our conduit to the outside world. And, you know, you said that, you know, they're they're positives in many ways. And we're never going to be without them. So we really need to get to know them better. But this idea that we can go through the day and deal with all of the outside world and then deal with all of the regular stress, but then also have to focus on all of this digital stress and all of the technological drain on our brains, that's new. And that's tough. You know, our devices are, I don't want to say we're addicted, we're addicted to them, but some people are addicted to them because they're designed to hook the neural pathways in our brain the same way that gambling and addiction does. And so I'm certain that many of your listeners can identify with the idea that when you don't know where your phone is, you kind of have a moment of shock, like, oh my gosh, where, you know, where's, where's my device? So we need to be aware of that. I talk about that in terms of 20 first and quarter century stress, but I also talk about it in relation to our digital stress or digital distractions. A lot of that comes from the devices that we're carrying with us all the time. Yeah. And I don't, this is not like a shame blame type of situation for me ever with my listeners, but I think we can all probably bring awareness and do better. If we are kind of like listening to this and we're like, yeah, you know, my tech habits might be influencing my stress level or my capacity at some point, what's your best recommendations for simplifying based on you had some various research in your book? Yeah. I mean, the first thing we need to do is just be kind of gentle with ourselves in that regard and just pause and be aware of how we feel with regards to our device use. It was in the Toronto airport yesterday. It's a busy hub here in Canada. And everybody's got their heads down. There's, you know, that lack of connection. And, you know, I realize that when I get stuck in that space, sometimes I spend too much time on my device and I feel heavier. I start to feel, you know, my stress levels coming up because I've been not very productive or I've been reading too much bad news or I've been scrolling and getting caught up in comparisonitis or any of those feelings. If we could just stop and then take a breath and just take a perspective check. Any one of us who have ever you know, left our phone at home by accident or, you know, misplaced it for a little while. It's stressful in the moment, but then it's like, oh, I actually survived without checking in. It's okay. So check in and how do you feel, first of all, and give yourself permission to take little breaks. You know, if you go for coffee with a friend, leave your, your phone in the glove box of your car. And even if you have it in your purse, you're going to be curious about it. Or if you have it on the table in front of you, even if it's face down, that's going to become an automatic distraction where you're going to be aware of vibrations or just the fact that it's there. Put it away where you can't see it for an hour or two. Have a device free at the dinner table. Have a from nine o'clock onward in the night, I'm no longer going to check my device. You might not do all of these, but which one's going to work best for you? Weekends, you know, if you can have a Saturday or Sunday without posting to your Instagram, see how you feel. We feel like our lives aren't full unless we're, you know, posting our 
selfie lives on the world. But uh, that's what I, why I talk about tech-driven FOMO-fed stress. When we step away from it, it can actually be quite a relief. I like those suggestions a lot because it just invites us to be mindful and actually turn it off. And I, I've read about how even setting your phone facing down on a table still can indicate to someone that you're not as important as your phone. So I, and you know, I like how if we really want connection in the now, which is really all we have, right? I like your idea of just not even bringing your phone in and challenging ourselves that way. And let's reframe that as a gift that you give to the person that you've chosen to spend time with. Because let's face it, you know, during lockdown, I spent more time with strangers in the dog park than I did with my best friend and my family. And so now that I get this chance to be with the people that I choose to be with, wouldn't it be lovely if we're just there and fully present? And we all have at least one friend who is like that, who will be there and look you in the eye and they're not distracted and they're not waiting for you to finish and they're just fully present. And in this day and age, I think that's absolutely beautiful gift. Absolutely a gift. Okay. I just wanted to get a little bit of technology talk in there because I think it's such a good reminder and you did spend a lot of time talking about it in the book, but I really want to make sure we create plenty of space to get to goals because one of the things you said kind of actually with the backdrop of this distracted world is that we need goals more than ever. Why do you think this? I always think of goals as this barometer of how we're going to give up our time. And so if you're not clear about what you need or want for yourself personally and professionally, it's far too easy for you to give your time and energy away to things that aren't resonant for you, for things that aren't going to drive your goals and dreams forward. And so I I really believe that we need to spend at least a little bit of time to ask ourselves that big little question, what do you want? You know, and as busy uh, people, if you've got kids, if you're taking care of aging parents like I am, if you're a caregiver, which a lot of women are, a lot of men as well, but if you're taking care of everyone else and everything else before yourself, then it becomes really easy to set your own dreams aside. Write them down. So put them where you can see them and then spend a little bit of time at them. I love this perspective because I agree. You said in the book, more or less, I'm paraphrasing here, but just using these goals as a touchstone for what we say yes to, and also Mm -hmm. what we say no to throughout our day. So I love goals as a filter for what we take on and and where we give our time. Yeah. If if somebody asks you to do something, you just simply ask yourself, is this going to drive my personal and professional goals forward? And if it's not, you have the right to say no. You have the right to say no, but you also can say, you know what? It doesn't drive my personal or professional goals forward, but that sounds like fun. So I'm going to do it. And then you can say yes with a clear heart. And I think that's powerful. Definitely powerful. Okay. So some of us might be out of the habit of goal setting and you started with saying it's good to put pen to paper. What if the biggest barrier for some of us is where do we start? Like I want to be a goal setter, but do I start with 10 goals? Do I start with one? Am I personal? Am I professional? And then we don't make goals because it's just like too much. I want to help women move the needle if they want to set goals. No, I, it can be overwhelming. And if if it's a big goal, I, I, I say don't set it aside, just break it into smaller pieces. I say size matters when it comes to setting goals, because if you set such a gigantic goal that you're feeling terror at the idea of stepping in, the goal is probably too big. It's a panic goal. So then you take that goal and just do that first step. You want to get outside of that comfort zone because you don't want to be reaching out and feeling terror. I'm a big fan of personal and professional goals because if you're in a workspace, you tend to focus all on the professional and forget about the personal. 
And I think that we need to be aware of both. I also think that putting it in writing is important. People don't want to write down their goals because then there they are. They're looking at them and thinking, okay, now I'm going to have to do something about them. And God forbid somebody should see them because then I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to feel the guilt of that. But there's something really fascinating that happens when we, when we write down our goals. It's called the generation effect in our brain. And our brain wants us to be successful. So when you take time to really think about that thing that you want and then put pen to paper, it gives your brain time to move that idea from short-term memory into long-term memory. And I joke around about this, where that goal can haunt, haunt you, you know, <laughs> it's in the back <laughs> of your brain, you know. We yeah. all know that feeling of that, oh, that thing that just won't, won't go away. I want to run a marathon or I want to write a book or I want to start a business or I want to go back to school. That goal that's there. For me, before I became a professional speaker, I always dreamed of being on stage. I just had this desire to be in front of audiences. And so that gives you a chance. And here's what I will say that can be a small steps way of reaching those goals. If you get clear about a bigger goal, I believe our daily to-do lists, if we write good lists, can be a step towards that. If you put something juicy on your to-do list in the day that's just for you, that's driving your goals forward, that can be a way of writing down your goals. So those are all great tips. Are there any any other ideas for creating goals that we don't just kind of like set and forget, or do we kind of have it covered there? Well, I mean, there's two more facets to good goals that I talk about. Put your goals where you can see them. I, that's why I love vision boards. It's it's you know it's a visual goal list, if you will. Put it where you can see it every single day, and even if you don't end up doing anything about that goal. Your subconscious is working for you. I know it sounds a little bit like the secret or something like that, but it, it it's, you're going to manifest some version of your goal eventually. And what we all need to get over with our goals is this idea of instant gratification. If it's worth having, you might need to work at it a bit. And one of the things that I found in my research for my book that I found very interesting around goal setting is this idea of key dependencies to consider who you need uh, around in order to to be successful like who are the people that are going to help you reach your goal if it's a business goal it might be a business partner or a service provider or specific coworkers that are working on something with you um if it's a personal goal within the business it could be a mentor or a boss or a coach these are your key people that are going to help you have success in your personal life it might be a family member or a you know a personal trainer or a web designer that's going to help you achieve a goal there and you even might want to consider the people who could confound your efforts for achieving the goal uh, unless you get them on side. Um, and you know, so to really figure out all, all of the different pieces that are going to help you be successful. Yeah, and that kind of I I hadn't thought about it that way with the key dependencies. And I feel like in your book, you just reminded sure. us that it's one thing to articulate your goals with a sense of having accountability, which I feel like I've heard, but I hadn't thought about it as much from a perspective of being like, Hey, you're someone who cares for me and wants to see me succeed. And you're going to need to play a role in this as well. And kind of almost getting that commitment. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think that that's probably one of the things that's missing from, you know, our typical smart goals, right? Specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-based. I'm not a fan. If you can tell by the tone of my voice, I think (laughs) smart goals are kind of dumb. But in the book, I do talk about a different way of setting, uh, you know, smart goals, if you will, putting the art and smart and beginning with the end in mind. And I'm happy to share that if you like. Yeah, I I had some laughs because, you know, anybody who has had any time in corporate America probably has gone through the smart goals and you're just you seemed very anti. So tell us how we can create goals that in your mind inspire us. 
are smarter. Uh, well, and it's something that I learned when I was getting my coaching certification, because I always felt like this typical smart goals, they just lacked energy. And so if we begin with the bottom, it's normally a time-based goal. And I don't think we need to get away from time-based because we want to have some kind of time frame we're working within so we can dig in and do the work when we get to the deadline and so we can celebrate. But I think we had to have to add another T and that's like framing your goal in a way that's thrilling. And I'll come back to that in a moment. The R is normally realistic. And for me, that's a bit safe. If you you know want to have electric ideas, you want to probably push them beyond realistic. Uh, and so for that one, I say, what would your goals be like if they were resonant? Like, so they vibrate within you. So if you consider that a thrilling goal would be to run a marathon, which is one of the goals that I had. The resonant goal for me was, all right, I'm going to do a destination marathon rather than running in my hometown. I'm going to go to Hawaii in December. Won't that be great? And all of a sudden this like, oh, this, this feels real now. Now the A is normally achievable. And that one just irritates me because do we not set goals in order to achieve them? That would be my wish anyways. So we're going to scrap achievable entirely. And for that one, we're going to put in one that's probably a little harder, but it is absolutely going to ensure your success. And that is accountability. So that kind of relates to the key dependencies, but it's also who do you need in your corner to help you be successful? So it's, it means you have to tell at least one person. It means you have to do the work. With the marathon, I had a marathon group that would meet every single Saturday for a long run and every Monday for uh, an evening a workshop and a shorter run. And I had 27 people who would let me know in one way or another, if I missed a run, you know, when are you going to get together for a catch up? What can we do to help you be successful? And every single one of us who took that course finished our marathons. So once you have figured out the accountability piece, then the S and the, and the M can stay the same specific and measurable is 26.2 miles on whatever day you're doing the marathon. So but you're now you're framing your goals in a way that feels energetic and resonant and thrilling and exciting. I'm going to be sharing a, a web link at the end of this that you'll be able to get a few resources for me, including an article I wrote that really frames the art and smart goals. Um, and I, I think it's worth a read to get more excited about how we set goals. I like that shift of excitement. And I'm, I'm wondering if maybe you can give us a few more examples that you've worked with or maybe some of your your clients, because. When you went from like this marathon training in your mind to being like, oh, wait, if I did this marathon training, but I knew I was going to get to go to a tropical destination to run the marathon. And I had this like something clicked when I was reading the book that it becomes instead of a I have to do this, it became like I get to do this. It just was that thrill. Like, like I get to do this. How exciting. Do you have any other examples of like, you know, a goal that maybe one of your clients had set in like a, a shift into making it a little bit more thrilling and resonant to use your word. Well, on the writing the book front, I had a, a client who is, who wanted to write a book and, and that was the thrilling idea, but they still weren't writing. But then it was the, the resonant piece then became when they finally got clear about how they were going to frame their topic. And, and this individual, individual talks about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So it's not exactly a, an, in, an energetic topic. It's a tough one. And so she, and she's got a great sense of humor. So once she was able to figure out how she was going to frame the book, then she got excited. It was resonant. And then she joined an accountability group that would meet the three other women that were writing. 
that they would all get together once a week and, and share their uh, what they were writing, different things. So that was the accountability. They had hired a book coach basically who said, if you're not here delivering, you're out of the club, no questions asked. So it was a little hard, uh, tough love, but it, it absolutely worked. And then the specific and measurable is how many pages by what date. It doesn't have to be such a uh, an onerous goal like running a marathon or writing a book. It could be you know, weight management, losing 10 pounds, but you can't get to 10 pounds until you get to one pound. I get to have my health and vitality back. Instead of I'm losing weight, I'm gaining energy. Instead of quitting smoking, I'm, you know, regaining my, you know, fresh air and, and, and clean lungs, put in that positive frame. I like those positive shifts. Okay. So in your book, one other piece that I want to make sure we get to is you talk a lot about how self-belief plays a role in our ability to achieve goals. And that is something we've talked about quite a bit on this show. But you share two just fun, actionable practices that I think my listeners might like to try. And one is creating an amazing list. And the (laughs) other is this idea of the awesome jar. Can you explain these in case someone might want to try them out? Yeah, and I've been a professional coach for a dozen years now. And one of the reasons I became a coach is because I kept meeting people who have no idea how extraordinary they were. You know, you can see things in people, and I wanted to help them see it themselves. This awesome jar idea came from one of my coaching clients because I had sent a message to my clients at the end of the year asking them to identify their successes. And one of them said, you know, I don't really have any big things that I'm celebrating, but I know it's been a good year. And she was a little bit frustrated by that. And so she said, I've decided to make an awesome jar. She took a big old mayonnaise jar, pickle jar, I don't know what it was, and decorated it up. And every time something good happened in her work or in her daily life, she'd write it on a little piece of paper with the date, stick it in the awesome jar, and just until they started to accumulate. And every time she was having a bad day, she'd stick her hand on the jar, pull out a couple, and just read, oh, yeah, small little things. And at the end of the day, in the end of the year, she'd kind of take an inventory. She also ended up having her coworkers, anytime they said something nice, they wrote it on a different piece of paper and put it in the jar. Um, and the interesting side note on that one is that it made everybody more aware of kind of spreading kindness. Uh, within the office space. But we can do that at home. We can do that at work. We can do that wherever. The awesome jar. And if you have it a big visual on your desk, people always ask about it. And it's super fun. The amazing list uh, is to take a blank piece of paper and, you know, one to 10, one to 20. I'm a big believer in, you know, go big with the one to 20. Write down 20 things about yourself that you think are amazing. And I know for many of my audiences, you know, I often joke that there's some of you that are going to say, I can't even get to five, but there's going to be some of you who are thinking, oh, gosh, only 20. And I want more people to get to that. I know that I've got a long list of things that are amazing about myself. Try to write it from a perspective of don't worry if other people are going to read it. Like for you yourself, what do you love about yourself? What do you think are amazing? And it could be that I make the best butter tarts or I make my family happy every Sunday when I cook a nice meal or whatever it might be. You can come up with a list, but if you want to take it to the next level, have your family members do it as well. They write their own amazing lists. And then you just share with each other what you think is amazing about the other people as well. So you can, you know, what what your daughter thinks is amazing about you and vice versa and, you know, have some tissues ready because you'll probably cry, but they'll be happy tears. So if we get our amazing list down, if we get inspired, let's just say we wrote one for ourselves and we wrote it in a way where we're like, we're just going to let it flow and we're not going to feel the self-deprecating part of us like roll in and we we actually are honest with ourselves. When would be a good time for us individually to tap into that? 
I think that belief is something self-belief goes up and down in our day and in our week, depending on how what's happening around us. But in the in the book, I share what I call four R's for shifting belief in self. And one of the R's is to remind yourself of your past wins, your current successes and your enduring capacity. Every single one of your listeners, and I don't even know who they are, and I know this to be true, have overcome things in the past that were hard, whether it was, you know, finishing school or exiting a tough relationship or getting over an illness or, you know, working hard to get the promotion or whatever it might be. If you didn't pass, you can do it again. And our daily successes are everything that we're doing every single day to take care of our kids or our aging parents or to do the job, even when it's hard. And we don't give ourselves credit for that stuff because we keep thinking of all the things that we're not getting done. And that's why I think the amazing list is important because it's 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 about who you are as a person, not necessarily about what you're accomplishing. And you can look at it and just remind yourself, you know what, I'm doing okay. Because I think most of us are doing far better than we give ourselves credit for. I think that we need that. I think women are quick to jump on the beating ourselves up bandwagon. And sometimes we just need to remember who we are. All right. Well, we're coming up against time, but I feel like as always, when I'm interviewing an author, there's so much ground to cover. We covered a lot of conversation around technology and goal setting. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you feel like is just really present for you right now with your clients that you'd like to share with my audience? My background is as a kinesiologist and a former personal trainer, and I've, I've, you know, kind of cut my teeth in the health realm. And if there's anything that I share with every one of my audiences is that no matter how busy our lives get, we can't forget to take care of ourselves uh, in small ways. And I'm, I'm a big believer in small steps for self-care. I go big or go home doesn't fit in our busy, crazy lives. And so my wish for your listeners would be that they do take time every morning to get intentional about how they want their day to unfold and to carve out even just a little bit of time for themselves, whether it's to take a walk around the block because you don't have time for more. Or like I said earlier, to, you know, give yourself a chance to sit down long enough to finish that cup of tea or coffee before it goes cold. The little tiny self-care indicators that will just kind of remind you that you're worth it. Yeah, and I'm going to share another resource, the little mini book that I wrote called Mesh for Health, tips for how to move, eat, sleep, and hydrate better in small steps using the time that you have available when you have available because if you're not taking care of yourself, it's going to be hard for everybody else around you that you're busy taking care of. Amazing perspective. Okay, I always end my interviews by asking women the same question, and that's what's one question women should be asking themselves more? Oh, I'll go to my big little coaching question. What do I want for myself today to make it a better day? I love how that is your big little question. I love how you put that. Michelle, this was a delight, and thank you in advance. I know you mentioned collaborating and offering Electric Ideas community some free resources, and we'll make sure to capture that all in the show notes. But in the meantime, where can we find and connect with you so we can learn more about smarter goals and much more you can go to my website at michellecederberg.com and i'm guessing that'll be in the show notes because it's not an easy one to remember but you'll find me there you'll find my book there you'll find ways to contact me videos all that fun stuff wonderful well thank you so much for coming today thanks whitney it's been a pleasure i'm so glad you joined me today If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at at WhitneyWoman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.